0: What, was, what did God make to Abraham? What was the covenant? The promise, right? The so promise
1: of the blessing. The
0: blessing. But what was it? Was God like, you're just generally going to be happier? Or was he like, you're going to have me. My essence is going to permeate you and, and sweep you up and, and wrap you into who I am. And, and so that is this massive blessing that is released... At the point of the fulfillment of the covenant, it is accomplished. It is fulfilled. I've, I've done it.
1: Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, yes. where we're seeking to recover faith by recovering the faith. And this series that we were in and now we're mm. back in yes. uh, is seeking to recover the faith as it was presented to us in the Old Testament. Our series ah. is called According to Scripture. I'm Kent. I'm Nathan, and we're in episode 10 now of According to Scripture, and today, today's title is
0: Take Off Your Shoes.
1: Take Off Your Shoes. The thesis for today is God revealed himself through a paradoxical person. Yeah. Here's a little synopsis. God calls Moses with a paradoxical manifestation of a paradoxical person. That person continues with Israel through her history until he comes as God in flesh, the light of the world. So, there's a little teaser for you. Yeah. Nathan. Yes. Who is this paradoxical person and right? what is the paradoxical manifestation sure. yeah. of this paradoxical yeah. person?
0: Well, this whole thing, you know, it's like um, <clears throat> I think one of the things that bothers people about Christianity is that it doesn't always line up with our sense of reason like we're like you know how can god be three in one how can jesus be god and man Mm -hmm. and since we don't have answers for that uh sometimes people will be like well i don't think that's true and um so at any rate but some of us would make the case that if god totally fits in your brain case then he may not be god you know Timothy Keller would say something similar to that. And uh, and, I, and I think he's right that, that if God just totally fits our sensibilities, we're probably just worshiping an, an extension of ourselves mm-hmm. or something. So um, God seems to, in Scripture, to appear in the paradox, in this kind of uh, logical contradiction that's also somehow true. Um, and so we were talking in the previous... Uh, nine episodes or whatever of According to Scripture about really where Jesus appears in the book of Genesis. And we got somewhat to the end of the book of Genesis with Joseph and his brothers. And so Genesis leaves us there in Egypt. You know, Jacob's reunited, the brothers move in, they go to Goshen, everything's happy. Exodus opens with things going sour, right? At some point. New Mm -hmm. kings, a new dynasty arises, um, and they enslave the um, Israelites, the Hebrews, as they're called at this time. And So, that's kind of where we're stuck. Uh, If you remember the story, Moses is rescued from this order to kill the baby uh, boys, and then he is, uh, we would say, I guess, uh, providentially taken into Pharaoh's ho- own house and raised as Pharaoh's grandson and um, then Moses leaves and he uh, and he goes, he has to flee at some point he decides he's going to try to help the Israelites get free or at least stand up for one who's being beaten by a, a taskmaster um, kills that guy, ends up his uh, thing, his murder is found out he flees, he's 40 years in the wilderness Um Raising the sheep of, of his father in law, man known mm-hmm. later as Jethro or well it's a, Remuel or what is it? Yeah, I they both sound right. Right. Does they're he have both, both of those names? Name. Okay. Yeah, okay. both his name. But, um, at any rate, um, he uh, he's over there in in this this kind of backwater area uh, in the wilderness, and one day he is out there watching his sheep and. This bush is on fire in the middle of the wilderness, you know? And he's like, the heck? Um, So we're told that, you know, he's on the far side. You want to give a read? Now
1: Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God.
0: Nice. Okay. So notice, um, there's a bit of a paradox here. A couple of them. The most obvious is that the bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. Um, so I had a professor at JBU and she said that, you know, we tend to try to minimize those statements, one or the other. Either we, we minimize that, um, that it was on fire, you know, that it just, we would say, well, it appeared to be on fire.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but she's like, well, that's not what it says, mm-hmm. you know, it is on fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or that, you know, maybe it is, it is burning, but it's slowly or something, I guess. But uh, it, it's very difficult for us to hold that statement in our minds, mm-hmm. that something could be on fire and yet not being consumed, not being burned up. So. That's what I would say would be the, the paradoxical manifestation that God shows up <clears throat> as this, you know, and and perhaps, I guess if the bush was on fire and burning up, Moses wouldn't have gone over. So uh, there's something to the paradox that uh, that draws us in, maybe causes us to wonder, and, and maybe that's a part of why it's important to retain it. Uh, if everything's explained, everything becomes pretty boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so
1: this is what drew Moses in. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So the question is, does it, uh, this idea that there's a God that perhaps is, is beyond what we can understand. Um, you know, it might be alienating to some, or it might be, um, intriguing to -hmm. some. And so, but I, I think there has to be some, some content to this paradox. It can't just be, wow, that was weird. You know, uh-huh. there has to be something. So somebody calls out from inside this bush. You know, once Moses gets close enough, then there's some revelation that happens. So uh, quick, quick quiz. Who called out to Moses from inside the bush?
1: Well, I noticed that it says the Lord saw, Yahweh saw that Moses went over to look. hmm uh-huh. God called to him from within the bush. Uh-huh. Moses, Moses.
0: But look at verse 2, who who was in the bush?
1: The angel of the Lord appeared okay. to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. So we've got the angel of the Lord within the bush. Yeah. We've got the Lord and God.
0: Yes. And so if you remember that discussion, Genesis 22, how these words, these designations are are kind of woven together here. <clears throat> but what's, what was always confusing to me is that we're told that the messenger of Yahweh was in the bush, but the the one who called out to Moses, the one who did the voice coming out of the bush was that of God
1: mm-hmm.
0: And so you know which one is it? Mm-hmm. Is it the messenger of the Lord, or is it God? And uh, remember we talked about how those designations are often kept separate um, <clears throat> So, what would you think would be the answer to the question, who's in the bush? Hmm. The messenger of Yahweh or God?
1: Uh, I think in the story, the angel of the Lord is in the bush. Mm
0: -hmm. But who called out from within the bush?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, God called to him from within the bush. Shoot. 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 God's in the and bush too. Wait,
0: wait. Uh, wait which uh, one when is it? <laughs> Who, who's in the bush? Yeah, this
1: the 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 way it's written it's careful to include God is in the bush, the angels in the bush.
0: Yeah. Are they both the hanging Lord's out in the bush? The, the, are, there, are, are there two people in the bush? You know, uh yes, are there is there one person in the bush? Yes. Is the bush on fire? Yes. Did it not burn up? Yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: See, so there's uh, the paradoxes. Right yeah so this is a uh, this is intentional this isn't like haphazard reckless uh, writing this is on purpose that there is this manifestation that is paradoxical it's on fire it's not it doesn't look like it was on fire it's on fire
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it's not being consumed and you're like well that's that's not true (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and then uh, who's in the bush the angel of the lord you know um, who is God?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you're like, mm-hmm. wait how can he, how can he be the messenger of the Lord God? I, I assume I associate when it says when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God w- called to him. So this is the same person,
1: mm-hmm. right? Who so, is named the Lord right. and is also called God?
0: Right. So the messenger of of Yahweh is Yahweh. It's like, is he Yahweh's messenger? Yes. Is he Yahweh? Yes. Mm-hmm. How? <laughs> how can these two things
1: be tr- both be true right. in the same way? How can the bush be on fire and still uh, uh, and not be burned up?
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, you know, our tendency is to ha- is to try to flatten the concept of God because we we struggle to understand it. To try to find a resolution to try to think through some sort of a vehicle where God could both be his own, you know, where God and his messenger are not the same entity, <laughs> you know. Um, and yet, here, there is no attempt to explain that. The paradox is held fully in tension. Um, and lest we, lest we wonder, he introduces himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then he goes on to um, to equate his name Yahweh, which has always you know, always sounded like I am in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Moses goes on and, you know, and, and he says, well, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to these people. I'm going to tell them that, you know, you sent me. But who, who are you?
1: God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you.
0: Yes. And uh, and he says, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And then, you know, Jesus, by the time we get to um, the book of John, Jesus keeps making this point. And by the way, um, the Jews don't, they don't miss it. They know who they're, who has come to meet with them because or at least who jesus claims to be um we get the story kind of in in john 8 where jesus is talking to the the kind of the cream of the crop because he's they're they're jews but they're not just jews they're judean jews and they're not just judean jews but they are believing judean jews so here are messianic judean jews but then jesus is like uh if you would just stick with me you'll be set free and they're like well how? dare you. <laughs> Why? Because Moses set us free. Are you trying to say that we're not free and are you, that we are children of Abraham? Surely we've never been enslaved to anyone. Well, obviously they had. This is a crazy notion, but that's what happens with religion. We kind of create our own uh, pop version of it. Um, but then, you know, with this whole question about Jesus and where he's from and all this, and, and he says that you know, before Abraham was I am. So um that and it says at this they picked up stones to stone him. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they got the reference, they recognize that Jesus is saying, I am that one.
1: He he's he's identifying as Yahweh who spoke to Moses at the burning bush. Exactly. Who named who 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 named himself I am.
0: Right. And so who you know which person of the pre-existent Godhead is that is Jesus, right? He's the one who introduced himself as I am in in Exodus 3. And
1: so back in Exodus 3 is it the angel of the Lord speaking? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, at, at that moment in the later part of the chapter, mm-hmm. I am has sent me to you. That's yeah. the angel speaking, the messenger of the Lord yeah. speaking.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it continues to be God who is the messenger of Yahweh. Okay. And that's why there's no distinction made. That's why when somebody encounters him, if you remember just recently when Jacob was wrestling with him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So there's a, it comes as a man. He comes as just a regular human, yeah. right? And, and he says, um, and we'll talk about this in a minute. But uh, you know he, he and once he disappears, Jacob's like, oh, that was God. It wasn't like well, that was the angel of God. He he says that was God and he left me alive. Mm-hmm. Recognizes that it's not just God's second in command. I, really, with the concept of God, you can't think in terms of second in command because God is has all authority. It's not like he's like has to distribute it, mm-hmm. right? That he needs some sort of minions mm-hmm. uh, or even some sort of a hierarchy.
1: Within himself,
0: Uh, right. I mean, we talk about archangel and stuff like that, and and uh, I don't understand how that works. But I'm saying that God, as far as an agent of God, possessing some of His authority that He has relinquished to that individual, right? Um, But if He's sovereign, if He's over everything, that doesn't that concept doesn't make a ton of sense. But if He is one. And we'll talk about that as well, you know, that, that Jesus comes as the agent of God, but who can represent God? Right? Who who could who could be worthy to take up his authority, his power, his name, um except God? Right? And and so and we can talk about the implications for us. But so this one comes as as it's his implicit nature to be the agent of God, but but to fully represent God, he has to be God. Mm-hmm. And he is God. And <laughs> so that's the paradox. Just like mm-hmm. the bush, you know, it, it, it's, it would be one thing if we read the Bible and we found these contradictions, and, um, and it doesn't appear that the author of the Scripture knew that they were contradictions, mm-hmm. that they were just writing half It was backwards. just badly like, written. Right, right. That would be badly written. But when stuff like this burning bush is there— Right, something you didn't have to say. (laughs) You could have come up with something else. Right, Mm -hmm. something totally, completely other. Mm -hmm. Right, there was a shining, resplendent being. That's how humans write the story. Mm -hmm. Burning bush, you know, and it's on fire, but it's not burning up. Why are we saying this? Why even come up with this? But it's to create this. Why is God revealing Himself? He's He's revealing Himself as a paradox because He is paradoxical. If He fits in our three dimensions. He's a function of these three dimensions, but the whole point is, is he's above it in that he's the I am, he is eternal. How can that even possibly make sense, right? It, 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 we start to wrap up the idea of somebody who's always been. In in conversations with skeptics, they're like, but who made God? And I'm like, why did somebody have to make him, right? Mm-hmm. There, there had, either we, Trace a chain of blind causes all the way back through eternity, or there's one uncaused cause at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Which one seems more likely or less likely? I don't know, right? Why does it have to be a chain of uncaused causes, or I mean, a chain of cause and effect back for mm-hmm. an eternal cycle? You know, that how could that be? Right, that makes that doesn't make any more sense, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> so Anyway, this, this angel of Yahweh shows up in Scripture, oftentimes as just an ordinary human being. I mean, there are times when angelic beings show up, but they're terrifying. People fall on their face. Usually when this one who's specifically called the messenger of Yahweh, you know, with a definite article, shows up, people aren't freaked out. People have to be convinced that he's uh, some sort of a divine agent in the first place. He kind of shows up as a regular guy, mm-hmm. like with wrestling Jacob. He didn't get that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, Jacob. he
1: talked to Abraham. Yeah. Abraham yeah. Abraham just greeted him as yeah. a guest. Yeah, well, he showed up Ab- as three. As three, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, there. Uh, the first and, time he shows up is actually in, uh, specifically by name, is in Genesis 16, ironically and interestingly, to Hagar, uh, this uh, handmaiden, handmaiden's tale kind of a thing. And... Uh, so she is pregnant and Sarai mistreats her because she kind of forgot her place and she runs away. And then we're told that the angel of the Lord appears to her and tells her to go back and that he's going to be with her and all of that, right? Um, but she's not freaked out, right? It's just, she somehow in his, in his speech or whatever, probably because he disappears, we're not told that, but that's generally his MO you know her response is um she gave this name to the lord who spoke to her now remember who is it (laughs) the angel of the lord verse 11 the angel of the lord also said to her you're pregnant you'll give birth to a son etc then in 13 she gave this name to the lord who spoke to her you are the god who sees me um and now I have seen the one who sees me. And mm-hmm. She named the well beer Laharoi, which is the well of the living one who sees me.
1: So there's the same paradox. It's the angel of the Lord talking to her. Then it's God. She, right. attribute, she attributes to that person the name God.
0: Yes, exactly. So it, it's this paradoxical person. He shows up time and again. Um, I, want, I want to talk a minute about um, this because there's an economy to it. Uh, so, this because he's the messenger of Yahweh, God the sender is always the sender, and uh, God the messenger is always the messenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there is a divine a- economy to this partnership. Now, does
1: this mean roles?
0: Yeah, each, each yeah.
1: has his role to play,
0: yeah, right, and they and they don't ever switch. So, it's what in Trinitarian theology we call the divine economy that the you know the father always sends the son Mm -hmm. and the son sends the spirit uh that the spirit is the is kind of the connector the unifier between father and son and these roles don't seem to change that you know the son never sends the father that kind of a thing
1: is this not is this different from hierarchy though like, I, I don't, yeah, I don't
0: see it. I guess we could call it a hierarchy in the sense that there's, um, but there's there's an implicit mutuality there, it seems, if you look at, like John 17, uh, where Jesus is, is praying his prayer, and he says, I glorified you on the earth, now mm-hmm. glorify me in your presence. So there's this res- reciprocity mm-hmm. that is being, that is shared. And, and so in the son glorifying the father or the messenger, glorifying the sender, um, that there is this reciprocal Mm -hmm. honor and glory that that seem to be in that transaction. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not hierarchy in the sense of honor or authority or or whatever, but it is in terms of roles. In terms of roles. Okay. That's
1: that's a clarification. All right.
0: Yeah. So um, I want to point out something here about this, Connection as, as God, and, and I, I'm going to step off into the realm of conjecture. So I can do that because I'm not a scholar. Um,
1: now we're in <laughs> Exodus 33.
0: We're in Exodus 33. By this time, God has given the um, covenant, and um, they've already broken it before they even got it in their hands. You know, mm-hmm. the, the episode with the gold calf, right? Yeah. And um, so things haven't gone well right and and god says this is kind of interesting it says the lord said to moses leave this place you and the people you brought up out of egypt god moses are kind of like a father and mother with these people you know your kids are doing Uh that kind of a thing Uh and he says and go up to the land i promised on oath i will give it to your descendants i will send a messenger before you to drive out the canaanites go up to the land flowing with milk and honey but i will not go with you
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you are mm-hmm. stiff-necked you're stiff-necked people and i might destroy you on the way mm-hmm. oh my goodness right okay so
1: it sounds like he's saying god's not going but god's angel is gonna go right god's yeah. a messenger right. right
0: yeah and then so moses says um you know they go back and forth and moses is is like you you haven't told me who you're sending Right, Tell me tell me who it is. You said you're sending a messenger, but you haven't told me his name. What's his name?
1: Mm-hmm. Moses said to the Lord, "'You have been telling me, lead these people, "'but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. "'You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. "'If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you "'and continue to find favor with you. Remember, "'Remember that this nation is your people.'" The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Capital P, yeah. My presence. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Unless, unless, you, unless who goes with? you go with right. us. <laughs> There's right. that paradox again. Right, yeah. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Right, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name.
0: There you go. So uh, when the when the Israelites build the tabernacle and in that inner, that first compartment inside the tabernacle, the holy place, there's some furnishings, right? There's a lampstand, there's an altar of incense, and then there's a table that's supposed to have bread. You remember what that bread's called? The The showbread? The showbread are show bread also the bread of the presence. The bread of the
1: presence. Okay.
0: Yeah. So it, there's this. That that tabernacle, that temple, there was somebody who lived there, <laughs> you know, in the Jewish concept. Mm-hmm. He's the one who camped with Israel. Now, God, the the Lord, whoever we're talking to at the beginning, he already said he's not going. Right. He's sending mm-hmm. someone.
1: His presence. Right.
0: The angel and that of the presence Lord. Is God. Got it? So that's mm-hmm. that's to me that oughta that oughta blow our minds because again, I, I get super frustrated when people at, you know, in their very limited concept of God are critical of Christian doctrine without having really thought things through or studied, but we know that God is not presented as a Unitarian being in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So when In Deuteronomy 6, you know, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That does not mean a solitary person. That means a unified being. Right? And so, uh, and that is obvious. Not a solitary
1: person, but rather a unified being.
0: Right, right. He is one. God is one. Um, So why do I, why is that important (laughs) to us? Why is it important that God is one? Here's...
1: Is yeah. it not just there is one God? Isn't the emphasis <laughs> yeah, there is isn't, one God? There isn't the is emphasis in the in the Jewish tradition? Isn't the emphasis on there is one God? There are not many gods. There is one Creator God, yes, the God of all the earth.
0: Yes, but the idea that God is one, um, three persons, one being, is critical to our existence and our redemption, because if God were a solitary person. He's the, you know, he is the most curmudgeonly hermit ever. (laughs) Uh, You know, there's there's no such thing as love in isolation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now we could say, well, you've just been talking about a paradox. Okay, there isn't that we can conceive of, and that's fine. But if God's going to somehow include us into a relationship of love. So if God for eternity past has been the solitary person, and he wants us to understand that he at his essence is somehow love, but that love has had no object. But he tells us now not just to sit there and meditate on how very loving we are, but to love in a way that is tangible and practical, right? With an object. So that doesn't seem like he's calling us to be like himself. Mm-hmm. The ideal, if God... Is a solitary person would be hermitage, permanent, <laughs> you know, to get away from everybody and to find who you really are and to love that person. Now we certainly have to do that on occasion, um, but it is not the ideal. That's not what we are called to, right? So God is this relationship, this fellowship, and and if that's the case, then while we will never be gods, uh, we can be among his fellowship. And to me, that's the crazy, unfathomable truth of the gospel is that God is not just inviting us to be his pets or his project or just a, a work of art that he can boast in. Right, uh, any of that may, it, it diminishes us uh, somewhat, but that He invites us into His fellowship, and and it it almost sounds blasphemous, but I, and it's probably not the best word to use, but I have to use it because it's close to what the Scripture is trying to say: is that He invites us to be a peer, mm-hmm. and that's bonkers, you know. But Jesus turning to His disciples and says, "I am your Lord, you're right, but I'm also your friend." Mm-hmm. And that's insane, right? That that's what grace is. Grace is this reaching down from you know from the heights of power, authority, nobility, um, to some very lowly and, and and instigating a friendship. That's what grace is. And and so somehow God has created us to join his number. It means that he's he's elevating us, but he can't do that unless He's already a fellowship, okay? And so this is why this is critically important for us to get, that God has always been a fellowship.
1: He, he can't invite us to join uh, in, in, in his fellowship if he is not first a fellowship.
0: Right. Okay. And so uh, Paul takes up this idea when we talk about our covenant and how we're included, okay? where are we now? Galatians Galatians 3. We're jumping all over the Bible, baby. Yeah. That's what you pay me the big bucks for. (laughs) So we're here. Uh, so in Galatians 3, uh, Paul is contrasting the covenant with Abraham with the covenant that God is going to make with the Jewish people as we'll get into Exodus further, but as he has made with the Jewish people at Exodus 20, uh, there's the 10 commandments that I think most people are familiar with. Um, so there's that command, and Paul says that that came uh, through angels and was entrusted to a mediator, okay, mm-hmm. being Moses, mm-hmm. right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then he says, a mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. There's that mm-hmm. There's that phrase, God mm-hmm. is one.
1: Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Is
0: one right? That was that's the big difference. That's a watershed between the pagans and the Jews. You know, you confess that God is one. So Paul confesses that God is one, but he does it in the wake of talking about this covenant in Galatians three sixteen. He says the promises were made to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people. But and to seed, meaning one person who is Christ.
1: Okay, so now he's going back to the covenant with Abraham, mm-hmm. and he's contrasting that with the the Mosaic covenant, the law.
0: Right. Yeah. And and he's saying, look, the covenant with Abraham was made with Abraham and with his seed, who is Christ. That covenant didn't need a mediator because God is one. Okay. What is he saying there?
1: So, so, uh, da, 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 what's he saying? There's there's a covenant made with Abraham and Abraham's seed, who is Christ. Right. So there's this covenant and it that God made with Abraham and Christ, mm-hmm. and it didn't need a mediator because God is one. Yes. He's saying Christ is God. Yes. <laughs> God made a covenant with God. Right. Yes, and therefore there's no need for a mediator.
0: Exactly. So this is why the you know the uh, Shema is is important is because the the confidence that we can have in the gospel and the covenant of faith is that God won't break an agreement with Himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but how can you make an agreement with if you're a solitary person, right? Uh, so the idea that God is one. Now Paul takes that and co-ops it and says, this is the ultimate cohesive fellowship. This is the perfect unity. and that's why that the gospel, when lived out, is unity. It's persons in unity because God is one. And he has, through Abraham and through faith, has included humankind in this covenant He made with himself. You remember, you know, when when God tells Abraham or Abram in Genesis 15, I'm going to give you this land. And Abram's like, well, how can I be sure of that?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so God says, cut up a bunch of animals. We'll put this, the halves on either side. Right? This is cutting covenant. We're going to make an agreement. Now, in the ancient Near East, traditionally, the two people making the agreement with each other would walk between the pieces of the animals to say, if I break my half, may what happen to these animals happen to me. Right? That's the way that we would they would institute a covenant. But Abraham and God don't walk through the animal pieces together. God manifests and walks through alone, but not by himself.
1: There's a flaming torch and a... F- uh,
0: uh, smoking fire pot. Smoking right? fire pot. Right. Now, how did God appear in Exodus 3?
1: Uh, Exodus three, the burning bush, a bush, a bush bush that won't burn up, right? A flame, a flame
0: that doesn't consume.
1: Uh huh. Flame that doesn't consume. All right. Right.
0: Right. So he God manifests two things, right? This flaming torch and a smoking fire pot. Okay. Okay. Now, now, could I, when you get to Exodus nineteen and Israel shows up back at Horeb, right? Because he says, now you're going to bring everybody back, right? Now God manifests. But in, in this case, he manifests as smoke, (laughs) you know, as not, not this benign fire, but something you should probably not get too close to, right? Um, And so there's this, a very, a very big difference between how God manifested to Moses in the first place and how he manifests. When all the people are there, right? And so on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Um, and it says the smoke billowed up from it, smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Okay. Now, why did God say he wasn't going to go with Israel?
1: He might kill him. Okay. He might, his anger might break out and he might right. kill him. Is that right?
0: Right. But who did he send instead?
1: His angel, his presence.
0: Who is? God, God, because right. <laughs>
1: <Yeah. laughs> he does say, I will go with you in, right. in the end.
0: Right. Right. Now, here's here's where I get uh, uh, where I just go out on a limb. OK, is it possible that at least as far as the divine economy goes, the way that we uh, relate to God, that the Father God in his essence is, you know, is holy, is is this consuming fire smoking fire pot that billowing smoke pouring off of sinai shaking the mountain right Mm -hmm. and that jesus is as he says the light of the world in him was light and that light was the life of humankind Mm -hmm. that that at least and i'm not saying this is what god is but i'm saying that as he relates to us he you know that there that God the father is the heat <laughs> you know and god the son is the light and and that they are an expression of the divine essence but each with his with his own uh, i don't know how to uh, aspect i guess you know that that may be a bridge too far but i'm just saying that it seems that jesus is represented as the benign presence of God among people, whereas the Father is represented as um, the business end, you know. And I'm, and I'm not saying that God isn't love and all that. I'm just saying that that if we understand the fully-orbed nature of who God and what God is, that, that Jesus has come for a very specific reason. It had to be the Son. It had to be this messenger. He's the one who's been interfacing with humankind, coming as God in the flesh, all the way back as early as Hagar.
1: Mm-hmm. He's always been the one in whom God accommodates himself yes. to humanity. Yes. So in some sense, the roles they play, um, re- the different roles refer to aspects of God's nature or God's character. Mm-hmm. There's right. some Now, someone could say, now you're falling into that old trap where you have an angry Father God, right, yeah. uh, and a merciful Son who intercedes sure. uh, for the people and stops the angry Father God from killing the people. No. Um, yeah. The uh, objection people have to, sure. like, say to sub- penal substitutionary atonement, they say right. this is depicting God as merely wrathful, and we have a merciful Son, and so God is divided. Right. Now, what would you say to that objection?
0: Well, it seems to me that <clears throat> that this allocation, if you will, is, it's not incorrect, but it is, it was God's idea to not go with Israel, but to send his son, mm-hmm. right? Or to send his presence. Mm-hmm. Whose idea was it? It was his, right? If God was really wanting to destroy us, he'd be like, let me Adam, right? That it was the Father's idea to send the Son. Mm -hmm. God so loved the world. So Mm -hmm. there is this notion that God is holy. He's not to be trifled with, right? He's to be feared that, you know, that He does have this component to Him, uh, that He is somehow dangerous, and Mm -hmm. that humankind to approach Him in His essence would be would be a deadly enterprise that that is essential i think to his being mm-hmm. and he knows this about himself right right um, but it is his idea it is his love that make that causes him to be bereaved of himself <laughs> you know of, of his messenger in order to redeem us mm-hmm. and so i think that there is this love in his initiation you know initiating the, the kindness and the goodness and the covenant and all of that, making this agreement, mm-hmm. staging this plan, you know. I mean, obviously, um, we, you know, Jesus, or this flaming torch, if you will, okay, walking between those animal parts and making a, a death pledge on behalf of Israel, okay? Now, what, what are the consequences of that being broken and being violated? death so jesus comes to really fulfill israel's end of the covenant
1: because israel has violated the covenant exactly and, and the consequence is death
0: and yet the you know the second person of the god is responsible he's taking in hand that side of the covenant so on the cross what does he remember what he says right before he dies
1: Well, you mean where he says it is finished?
0: It is accomplished, right? Mm -hmm. What is it? The covenant. That's it. (laughs) That's it. And 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 by accomplishing the covenant, Peter in in Acts two says he, you know, and, and having been raised to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promise, the promised Holy Spirit. What was what did God make to Abraham? What was the covenant? The promise. Right? The so promise of the
1: blessing. The
0: blessing. But the, what was it? Was God like, you're just generally going to be happier? Or was he like, you're going to have me. My essence is going to permeate you and, and sweep you up and, and wrap you into who I am. And, and so that is this massive blessing that is released at the point of the fulfillment of the covenant it is accomplished it is fulfilled i've i've done it checked the box right mm-hmm. and so having ascended now he's received the promise then he's poured out what you see in here everyone you know and we are witnesses of this and so is the holy spirit uh, that god has given to everyone who obeys him and so there's this idea that we are in christ and he has accomplished the covenant uh the death pledge that he made in Abraham and along with it everything else you know so it's uh it's important the the trinitarian theology is critical to the the full gospel the proclamation of the gospel that god has made this covenant he has made these promises to himself. (laughs) And himself has come to receive those promises to fulfill all uh, obligations and receive all rights and privileges on behalf of those who have the faith of Abraham that he also gives them.
1: I always think of Paul's statement, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself as the best sort of reconciliation of the tension between Father, Son, God of wrath, God of mercy, yeah. um, the, God was in Christ, right. God, God initiated, God was with Christ, God was, God was at work redeeming the world, yes. God, was, God was solving the problem that God's nature causes, God's nature yes. creates a problem for us, our nature, his nature, there's a problem, Yeah, and God is the one who solves that problem.
0: Yeah, and again we it's all a conjecture, it may be bordering on heresy, but maybe maybe we would say we talked about that paradox in Genesis twenty-two between God and his nature and God and his personality, you know. Maybe the Father is the keeper of God and his nature. You know, maybe the Son is the keeper of God and his personality. Not that God is just pure, you know, the Father is just pure holiness. He obviously has this personality, he is this personality, but as we encounter him
1: in their roles, we're
0: going to who, how we experience them, how we encounter them, is really dependent on their yeah their roles and and maybe their essential nature. This seems to be something from eternity past. It's not something they decided to be for our sake, but it is the way that they present mm-hmm. because of who God is. Um, now, the loving ways. Father. I mean,
1: the loving Father depicted. Say in uh, parables of Jesus or in mm-hmm. Paul's language of Father. I mean, Jesus prayed to God as Father, and um, Paul speaks. Paul Paul uh, he speaks. Uh, uh, re- Paul draws on that and teaches us to pray Abba, Father, and yeah. says the Spirit you know within us cries out Abba, Father. So God, the Father, or the first person of the Trinity, does mm-hmm. is revealed as a loving Father.
0: He is. Yeah, and so that's not to say that there, we can make these clean partitions. Mm-hmm. I mean, this same angel of Yahweh goes out, you know, when Sennacherib is um, besieging Jerusalem, he goes out and kills, what, 185,000 of Sennacherib's troops. So it, we're not saying that the angel of the Lord is always, um, you know, sweet and precious and, and never does anything mm-hmm. violent. Or that God the Father it just wants to you know smack us around, but Jesus is keeping that. That would be incorrect to right. say. But it does seem that there is some sort of a distinction made that these that this economy holds true, um, and that you know, so the the destroying angel is is uh, you know it uses the same title as the one who shows up. And that people, when they have an encounter with him, are thankful that they were left alive. So it's not so much that he's always benign. But um, it does seem that if God's going to reveal himself to humankind in a way that is somewhat safe, he sends his messenger. You know, <laughs> that, that his very presence could vaporize us, God the Father's very presence. And so, you know, Jesus is fire. But he doesn't have to consume us. Yeah, you know,
1: mm-hmm. um, he's the fire that doesn't consume us
0: exactly mm. and so there's this I, I think that this the reason you know the angel of the Lord came into a bush the bush is on fire the, it didn't burn up is to kind of give us some sense that God is he's coming to us in person and the person he's coming to us in is one that we can relate to the one that we, we can, can get close with, to right mm. and so that's I think that's critical and it's why Jesus coming as a baby and stuff wasn't such a you know such a left hand turn for Israel that they should have understood that this is this is a continuation of their tradition mm-hmm. and the promise they expected. Does,
1: now the, this was one of my questions to you: was this idea that the Son has been manifested on the earth and in human history, mm-hmm. throughout history, throughout God's dealings with pe- His His people? Does that somehow diminish the incarnation? Does it make it less of a big deal that he God became a man yeah. in the Son in the person of Jesus, or is it definitely a transition? Like it's yeah. it's, it's 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 not just a manifestation, uh, but rather God actually takes on human form. So there's a there's a transition that occurs there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's one thing to show up as a human; it's another thing to be born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and to grow up and all of that. Uh, and so to fully share in our experience, to have a family of origin, mm-hmm. a lineage, a culture, a language. And die. Yeah, that's, right. that's really what it means to be human. You know, the, the messenger of Yahweh shows up in human form. And, you know, I, and I've, I've always wondered, is this actually Christ incarnate, you know, taken back in time by the Father's power or something. I don't know that that's the case. I do know that he spent some time, you know, all night in prayer. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, what happened? Uh, what happened then? You know, those moments when he's completely in isolation. I know. Uh, during that 40 days in the wilderness, who knows uh, what, what all took place? So it could be that the very man who came as Jesus was somehow transported back for those moments in flesh. And so that... Creates another paradox. Um, who knows? I don't. Um, but I do know that yeah, the incarnation is a big deal, and one of the reasons it is is because that this relationship with the Father through the Spirit is now available to us. That it's in in Jesus coming, He stretched that that medium. If, if we think of the Spirit as as this. Um, person of the Godhead who is the, the unifier between the Father and Son. He's called the Spirit of God. He's called the Spirit of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet he is given to us. So there's this, there's this, when Jesus comes as a human being and the Spirit comes on him there at his baptism, that there is um, a reaching out of that medium to, to pull humankind in. And so now we are brought into this fellowship through this extension of the Spirit. and and so the very incarnation that began in Jesus of Nazareth continues in us unbroken. Um, and there are obviously implications to that mm-hmm. for another time.
1: Oh, for next time. Yeah, I suppose that's a good place to end on. Yeah, thanks everybody for joining us. You may have questions. You may yeah. want to continue the conversation. You can email us at discussion at recoverfaith.org. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon.